0: One more day to rejoice in His presence. And it's the season where, I don't know, um, most of us should should be so joyful and, and, um, and, and happy, but so many of us are so tired as the year comes to a close. I've heard people say, well, I couldn't wait for the for the break and for the holidays. But praise God, there is strength in the Lord. Amen? The Word of God says, Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Every single day, there is a place where we can go and refill and recharge and renew our strength. That's what the Word of God says. And those that wait upon the Lord, not everyone, but those that look to the Lord expectantly, those that wait on Him will renew their own strength. Not only that, they will mount up with wings like eagles. That's talking spiritually. They will run and not be weary, and they will walk and not faint. Isn't that wonderful? just to know that there is a place in God where we are refreshed, where we are renewed in our strength, where we are empowered to live the day. Amen? To face the day and to be ready for whatever comes along. I am so grateful to the Lord. that place it's the place of my refuge it's the place of my refilling and recharging and renewing my strength and I have found that to be so true and I pray that every believer would find that place that secret place where he can come to from day to day and recharge well, this morning, I want to continue on the theme that I was on last week. I did say to you that this morning, I will finish what I started last week, and we will talk about, again, enlarging our capacity of reception. And our foundational scripture, as you well know, you should all learn know it off by heart now. It's Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3. I believe this is the prophetic word of the Lord for us in this time, in this season, God is speaking to us through these verses of Scripture, and we need to actually meditate on them and allow the Spirit to begin to open it up to us and reveal to you personally what does this mean for you, for your family, and your area and sphere of influence. God is saying, Enlarge the place of your tent, your dwelling. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your courts, strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. So this is what we are currently teaching on at the moment. And throughout this series of lessons, we emphasize the fact. And I want to keep saying that so that we can hear it again and again and again until it becomes a revelation to us that God's giving to us is far greater than our receiving. And I did mention to you that some folks, when they come to God to receive... They come with a little coffee cup. That's all they can contain. Others come with a bucket. But there are some that come with a truck. And they have developed the skill of receiving from God to such an extent where the hearts are open, the minds are open to embrace and to experience all that God has for us in Jesus Christ. So, in other words, what I'm saying is that God has given us much more in Christ than we are actually capable of receiving or experiencing in our daily walk. And our inheritance in Christ is much greater, much broader in every sphere of life than what we have imagined it to be. That's why Jesus came. And... In a couple of days, we're celebrating the birth of our Savior. He came with a purpose. Amen? And that purpose was to redeem us from the power of darkness and bring us into the family of God. And together with that bringing into the family of God, He also died and rose again and left us an inheritance. And that inheritance belongs to you and I. In the Old Testament, it was called the promised land. We have an inheritance. And that inheritance needs to be possessed, needs to be walked into, needs to be obtained. It doesn't fall on us like ripe cherries off of a tree. We're going to have to exercise our faith to embrace and receive all that God has for us. Therefore, our receiving needs to be raised to another level, a higher level, in order to embrace and experience all that God has already given us in Christ in our inheritance. We also emphasize the fact that receiving from God is a skill, a skill that is learned and developed How? Anybody remembers? Let's see if you've been listening to my teaching all this time. How is this skill of receiving developed? Anybody remembers? You see, that's why I keep repeating what I said to you last Sunday and the Sunday before. Again I say unto you, it is developed through knowledge and practice. Write that down. Your skill of receiving from God is developed through knowledge and practice. Just like any other skill we learn in life. How do we learn it? We go to school, we educate ourselves in that area, and we learn. Amen? And then what do we do? We practice what we learn. And as you learn and practice, you develop in your skill. So it is when it comes to receiving from God all that belongs to you. You develop that skill. You go after it. You learn. You study. And the more you learn, the more you know. The more you know, the more you practice. And the more you practice, the more you develop your skill of receiving from God. Now, this is the reason behind these studies we are currently doing. Through the Word, we are shedding light on what God's desire is for us. I'm telling you, the desire of God as well how to develop and enlarge that capacity of reception. Amen. Listen to what Psalm 119, verse 130 says, one of my favorite verses. The entrance of your words gives light. Light is knowledge. Darkness is ignorance. And the Word of God says that God's people perish or are being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Satan's greatest weapon against you and I is called ignorance. He will take advantage of your ignorance and use it against you. Amen. That is why the Word says, the entrance of your Word gives light. And what else? It gives understanding to the simple. Wow. So what must we do? The more of the Word you receive, the more light you gain. The more light you receive, the more understanding you develop. Amen? You see, the Word of God is the source of all knowledge and understanding. And the primary responsibility of every shepherd, every person that has been called into the ministry of shepherding or pastoring, his primary responsibility is to feed God's people with knowledge and understanding. Amen? Because if we can successfully do that, you will be able to stand on your own two feet without any outside aid or assistance. Because you have the knowledge, you have the understanding, and the wisdom of God, and you're able to govern the affairs of your life. That's my responsibility. That's Michael's responsibility. Stephen's, all those who called into the ministry, that is the primary responsibility. Feed my people with knowledge and understanding. How? By ministering to them the Word of God in season and out of season. Do you want me to prove that to you? Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. And God is speaking, and He says to His people, And I will give you shepherds according to My heart, who will do what? who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Shepherds after God's own heart feed God's people. They nurture them. They feed them with what? Knowledge, knowledge and understanding. That is the most precious commodity on the face of the universe. Knowledge and understanding that's been my primary prayer throughout the years lord grant your servant wisdom knowledge understanding that i may know how to shepherd how to govern how to lead your people that one day when i stand before god i will hear the words of the lord saying well done, you good and faithful servant. You took care of my people. You fed them, not with hype and emotionalism, but you fed them with knowledge and understanding. Amen. I asked the question, why do we want to enlarge our capacity of reception? Why do we want to receive more from God? What are the motives of our heart behind this request? Is it a selfish request, or is it a noble one? It's definitely not selfish if our vision and our outlook extends beyond ourselves to bless others. It's not selfish to want more of God's wisdom. It's not more... It's not selfish to ask that God would bless me with more knowledge, more understanding, more resources, not for myself, so that I can have access to bless and minister to other people. Amen? Now, some people would take it to the extreme and ask for more so they may consume it on their own selfish desires. James says you ask and receive and you don't receive because you ask amiss so that you may consume it on your own lusts but a believer whose heart is in God he has a noble vision a noble desire to be a blessing on the earth to be able to bless others through his life in every simple in every sphere of life amen and that should be your desire We want more of God so that we can be better equipped, better positioned to bless and minister to others. Because the more of God we have, the greater our sphere of influence will be. It's going to spill over unto others. Amen? The more light you have, the brighter you will shine. The brighter you shine, the more effective you are in expelling the darkness that is all around us in this present world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And it's time we start believing that. And wherever the light goes, what happens to the darkness? It should leave. Not you run from the darkness, but you expelling the darkness. And that's what happens when we shine brighter and brighter and more of God's presence fills our lives. Amen. And this is what it means to be a resource house. Each one of you, our aim and our destiny and our purpose should be to become resource houses. That means a house that is filled with God, and His tangible presence, ready to meet any need at any time it presents itself. Someone comes up to you and is down in the dumps, and needs encouragement. You are ready to give Him a word of encouragement and lift Him up. Someone comes to you and is in pain or is sick. We should be ready at any time to say, I'll pray for you. I have the faith, I have the name, I have the authority, and if I lay hands on you, and you believe, and I believe, sickness will leave you. That's a resource house. Whatever the need. Amen? Someone comes and is in trouble, and you know, well, something happened in his life, he doesn't have the money to meet that particular need, we should be able to have enough resources to say, here, I'll take care of this need right now because God has blessed me. And you don't have to go look for it. You already have it. That's a resource house. Isn't that a noble dream? Don't you want to make a difference in the world that you live in? Amen. You are an ambassador of Christ. We are the representatives of Christ the Lord on this earth. And it's time we wake up to that and be exactly that. Hello? Amen. Our prophetic destiny as a house is found in the below verses, in the below words of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 4. This verse of scripture has spoken to me throughout the years I've walked with God. And it is my aim to be that type of a person. And it is our aim in this fellowship to be that kind of fellowship. What kind of fellowship? What kind of church do we want to be? Well, listen. This is God saying, For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat, for the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. That's your prophetic destiny. We must find ourselves in that verse of Scripture. And this is what Michael was talking about when he spoke about us building a safe house, a house of refuge. With God's help, we want to build a safe house, a house of refuge for others who are in desperate need of restoration and ministry by providing strength to the needy in the distress, as well as provide a spiritual shelter from the storms of life and a covering that serves as protection and shade from the spiritual heat that is out there. That when people come in here, they will find a covering, a refreshing, because the presence of the Lord dwells amongst us and is present with us. Hello. That's what a church is supposed to be, folks. That's what you and I are supposed to be. I don't hear any amens. I wonder if I am speaking to the right people this morning. This is God's prophetic destiny for this very house, for you individually. It's much more than just living a nice life, a comfortable life. And it's vitally important, folks, that all of us adopt this way of thinking that says, I'm not here just for myself. I'm a Christian. I'm here to extend and to establish the influence of God's kingdom and be a blessing to all those who happen to be in my sphere of influence. And each one of us has a certain sphere of influence. You have friends, you have colleagues. Amen? That's your sphere of influence. And maintaining... In our last session, we learned about the power of expectation. You remember that sermon last week? we learned that expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. Maintaining an attitude of expectancy every day positions us to receive what God has promised. And I concluded my message last Sunday by quoting Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Thank you, Ron. I know someone was listening. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Can we read it again? And therefore the Lord earnestly waits, expecting, looking, longing. Listen to that expression, expressive words. God waits, expecting, looking, and longing to be gracious to you. Amen. That's, That's me. That's one of the you he's talking about. And therefore, he lifts himself up that he may have mercy on you and show loving kindness to you. Wow. Can we really grasp this revelation? The revelation that God is always willing and is always ready to pour out kindness and blessing and favor on you and i that's why the psalmist said surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life amen so we ought to be getting up every morning and declaring that lord today i'm expecting your goodness and your mercy to follow me to show up in my daily walk in my circumstances In everything that I do, I'm expecting nothing but goodness and mercy and favor and loving kindness from you because your word says you earnestly wait and longing to be good to me. That's the God we serve. And until we see him as such, our expectation would not rise to another level. Amen? Can you say amen? Amen. This is one of the main obstacles to receiving from God. What is that obstacle? We don't really believe that God is longing or willing to be good to me. I don't deserve it. None of us do. And if you're trying to earn God's favor through your performance you're going to be deeply disappointed. God's favor is not promised to you because of you, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross for you and I. He's done it all. Because He suffered, He bled, He died, He received the stripes and the punishment that belonged to us, He took it upon Himself so that God can bless us. And in Him we are made worthy. We are made righteous because we are in Christ. Are you in Christ? I am. I am, and I've been in Christ over 40, what, 76, 24, 43 years. And I would not change it for the world with a fence around it. I would not change one single day since I've been born again. And if I had a, a, a chance where I would relive my life from 1976, I would have nothing different than what I have experienced and walked with for 43 years through the, with the Lord. They've been wonderful years. They are wonderful years. And that's what it means to be in Christ, folks. Some of us are so miserable, I wonder if we've ever experienced the love of God in our lives. Come on. You are a Christian. Christ lives in you. What is there to be complaining about? Hmm. I. Sorry, Lord. That. We don't really believe that God is longing or willing and pour out His goodness and kindness on us, on us. And let me say this. We don't really doubt His ability or His power. None of us do. Because we know God is great. Nothing is impossible for God. But where we doubt is His willingness. Is He willing to do it for me? Is he willing to bless me after all that I've done and after all that where I have been and what I've said and, and, and you remember all those horrible things, which, by the way, the Lord has forgiven you and he doesn't remember them? Yes, he's willing. More than willing. <laughs> Sometimes we behave just like the man who, appro- who approached Jesus with a question about his willingness to heal him of his leprosy. Have you ever read that in the Bible? Well, I'll read it. We'll read it together. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Notice what he said. If you are willing, you can. He didn't doubt His ability, he doubted the willingness of God to heal him and do him good. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Did you see that? Now what he said to that man, he says to you and I. How can I be sure of that? Well... The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. If He said it to the one, He will say it for you. He doesn't love that man more than He loves you. And if He said it to the one, He said it to all. I am willing that you be healed, that you be whole, that you be well, that you be prosperous, that you be blessed all the days of your life. I am willing. I am willing. Stop doubting my willingness. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you're no respecter of persons. And what I want to say is that many of us pray, but how many of us really believe and expect our prayers to be answered? Are you expecting your prayers to be answered? And a vivid example of this is found in Acts chapter 12. Peter was kept in prison. But constant prayer, the Bible says, was offered to God for him by the church. The church was praying while Peter was kept in prison, and the next day he was to be beheaded. Well, lo and behold... The angel of the Lord, in answer to the church's prayer, came into the cell and turned him loose. His shackles fell off, his feet, his hands. The gates opened supernaturally. The angel of the Lord opened, and he walked out of the prison in the middle of the night while they were praying. Peter thought he saw a a vision or he was hallucinating. When he came to himself, he realized that the angel of the Lord had set him free, so he went to the house where prayer was made. He knocks on the door and nobody answers. You know why? Except a little girl by the name of Rhoda. Because they didn't believe or expect anything good to come out of their prayers. He kept on knocking. Only one little girl, believed and expected, answer to her prayer. She ran to the door. She was so excited, she came back telling them, Hey, our prayers are answered. Peter is out of jail. They said to her, You're hallucinating. You must be imagining things. You're mad. And Peter kept knocking. And finally the girl opened the door and there was Peter. And everybody was in shock and amazed. Isn't this what happens so often? Answers to our prayers are knocking on our door because we're not expecting, we're not looking for it, expectantly believing that God has heard and answered our prayer. Uh, The answer is knocking, but we can't see it. (laughs) Does that seem strange to you? You see, it takes eyes of expectation to see When you're expecting, you're constantly looking out for it. And when it comes your way, you recognize it. Hey, that's what I've been praying for. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Are you still out there? (laughs) My question is then... Why pray if you're not expecting your prayers to be answered? Might as well just not pray. Some people say, we're praying and we're hoping, and I've heard that so many times, but we don't really expect anything to happen. We're just praying and hoping. Well, nothing is going to happen for you. If you're praying, you better be expecting your prayers to be answered. And if you do, God will honor the expectancy of the believer and will reward that expectancy richly. You know why? Because the Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen? The Word of God says, now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything According to His will, He hears us. Did you hear that? You can ask anything according to what He promised you, and you can take it to the bank that God heard your prayer. And then He says, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Can it be more clear? The Apostle Paul assures us that if our asking is in line with God's will, we can take it to the bank and fully expect to receive those petitions because God heard you when you prayed the first time. Amen. Here's another question for us. How do we develop this mental attitude of favorable expectations from God? You know, some people expect, but their expectations are not favorable. They're not good. They expect the worst. And you know what? You expect the worst, you will give birth to the worst. There is only one place, and I want to emphasize that. Our expectations for great things are developed, and that is the Word of God. I want to say it again, there is only one place in the universe, no other place, and that is the living Word of God. All favorable expectations come from the Word of God, and the Word, if you plug plugged into the Word, He will develop in you, in your heart, and in your mind, great expectations. You see, God works out of the box, not in the box out of our boxes. He's infinite. He's unlimited. He does not work according to reason or logic. The very birth of our Savior was not reasonable. It was not logic. It was supernatural. It was miraculous. How can a virgin be pregnant without a man? Is that reasonable? Is that logic? No. But God works out of our boxes, out of our logic, out of our reason. He is unlimited. You can't put God in a box. That's why our minds need to be broadened, our imaginations extended, enlarged. Anything is possible with God. Amen. That is why I say to you, you want to have great expectations that are out of the box, out of the ordinary, out of reason, out of logic. Get plugged into the Word. He will give you great expectations. And you're going to see things you have not seen before. Amen. When God called me to preach, I was only a few months old in the Lord. I didn't know much of the Scripture. I had no Bible school education. And God says, I want you to feed my word to the people you led to me. And I said, Lord, me? He said, yes, you. You give them to eat. I said, how? He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. And you will be able to do what you could not naturally do. And that's what a Christian is supposed to do. What naturally cannot be done. And whatever God calls you to do, you can do it because the power of the highest comes upon you to accomplish the very thing that He has assigned you to do. Whatever that is. No matter how impossible, how great, how unreasonable it is. God will empower you to do it. Amen. Because God works out of the logic and out of the reason of human beings. He is unreasonable and unlogical. And we should learn that that's how God works. So when He says to you to do something, you say, Yes, sir. And don't look at your abilities or your resources, but look to Him. The psalmist said, My expectation. Comes from Him and Him alone. Not man, God alone. God uses men and women, but ultimately He is behind it. Amen. And this is what the Word will do for you. That's why so many people are still in bondage. They sit in church month after month, year after year. They listen to the Word, but they do not engage the Word. That's why they're still in shackles. But if you will engage the Word of God, the Word will break the shackles of limitation. It will break the shackles of insufficiency, of weakness. Fears will just fall off of you. As you get into the Word, failure, and will teach you how to expect the goodness of God to show up every single day of your life. The Word will do that. And all you have to do is engage with it. I don't know how else to say it, but there are no words in my limited vocabulary to describe to you what the Word of God will do in your life if you're diligent enough to study it and fellowship with the Lord in His Word from day to day. Not only will the Word develop and increase your expectations, but listen to this, the Word will define your expectations. What do I mean by defining them? You know, if you don't get into into the word and you try to build up expectation, you will go all over the place. You will expect things that God didn't promise you. The word define means to fix or lay down clearly and definitely, it also means to specify distinctly and to determine the boundaries. That's defining. In this case, the Word will fix and lay down clearly and definitely what you are expecting. And it will determine the boundaries of your expectation and will help you specify exactly what you are expecting from God. And I have discovered this from experience and from watching uh, closely people. I have discovered that our level of maturity in Christ will always define and shape our expectations. What do I mean by that? Well, if you are spiritually minded or heavenly minded your expectations will be primarily on another level, spiritual. If, on the other hand, we are earthly-minded, our expectations will be primarily earthly and sensual. Do you see that? And the Word of God will not only define your expectations, but listen to this, it will also define you. What do I mean by that? The Word of God is so alive and powerful that it will pierce through the veneer of pretense and locate the real you. Think about that. It will locate your doubts, it will locate your fears. If there is any bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart, it will expose them and bring them to the surface and will help you get rid of them. Listen to what Hebrews says about the Word. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than any two sharp as two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joints and marrow, and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That's why I said the Word will also define you. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. Now, here is the reason why the devil hates the Word of God. He literally hates it with perfect hatred. Why? Because the Word will strip his authority over your life. And the enemy will do everything and anything in his power to keep you from reading it, from studying it or meditating in it. He knows. Hear me. He's been studying mankind for thousands of years, and He knows if you stay with the Word, the Word will expose His lies and deception, and He will no longer have any power over you. The Word will renew your mind will align your thoughts with God's thoughts and it will pierce through the lies that hold you captive and bring down strongholds of unbelief that limited your growth and your success. That's what the Word will do. Why do you think we find so much resistance when it comes to studying, reading the Word, or praying? Yes, there is pressure. There are distractions. Do anything else except go to the Word. And the enemy, the moment you go into your prayer closet or to study the Word systematically, the phone will ring, some other distractions will come up, The enemy will bring things to your mind that will cause you to wonder here and there. Sometimes he'll make you fall asleep, even in church. Why? Why is there so much resistance? Because he knows. You stay plugged into the Word, the Word stays in you, and He has no more dominion or power over your life. He can no longer rule or govern you, but you will govern His works. That's why He hates the Word. And He hates you engaging the Word because the Word will provide strength, provision, protection, health, healing, deliverance from sinful habits, and everything else we will ever need in this life. And all we need to do is engage with it, study it, and meditate in it. And I want to show you a study that was done recently concerning people who engaged the Scriptures, Can you please show us that clip? There was a recent
1: study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled uh, 40,000 general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80, and they just wanted to see how we are engaging with scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. They weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. when we're in the scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday, that's pastor saying you're open your Bible, we hear the message, one time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map, like there was a heartbeat. Something happened, again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, th- I mean, there'd be a gradual incline wow. on the effect and impact that would have in your life. But it was literally one, two, three, four. Something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang- like four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time do you spend in the scripture? If they're in the scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith wow. jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there.
0: Seeing and hearing this result. Did you see, did you see that? Did you hear it? Just spending... Engaging with the Scripture four times a week. These are the results. And that's a study they've recently done. They were not even looking for these results. They just came up. So hearing this, what should our priorities be as we approach this new year? What should your priorities be? Plug into the Word. Stay in the Scriptures. Place this at the forefront of your mind and say it to yourself every day, the Word is all I will ever need in my life. The Word is all I need. And people who abide in the Word and remain in prayer, they are strong and able. They're not anxious. They're not stressed. They don't get tired easily or become weary. They're not looking to run away somewhere to find rest because their rest is in the Lord. Folks, I cannot say it any simpler than the way I have communicated to you this morning. But you know what? It's your decision that it's going to make any difference. It's not my preaching. You need to drag yourself, if you have to at times, and say, I'm going to spend time in the Word, because spending time in the Word is the most profitable thing I will ever do this year. You will see how you will grow spiritually, and you will experience those results as well. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for listening to this message.